0: Hello, welcome to First Person, a podcast brought to you by Coleman FBC. I'm Chuck, and during the next few minutes, I'll join you, the listener, as we meet and get to know others in the First Baptist family. Together, we'll learn about them, their families, and what brought them to Coleman. First, I want to thank the production team of Karen Harmon and Vince Donahue for their help in making this podcast available. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm here today, and uh, for a new edition, another edition of First Person. Uh, I've got a special guest with me today, uh, Paul Levering. And Paul is a, a longtime member of First Baptist Church. But if you're a new person in our church family, or if you've just been around a, a reasonable amount of time, I think you need to know Paul. It's a never bad to know Paul. Uh, Paul is a Sunday school teacher. He's a deacon. He's done about everything you can do in First Baptist Church. I I would refer to you as a pillar, <laughs> but now that doesn't mean you're old. I'm just simply saying you're you're part of the structure here that has made this uh, this church go for a long time. So good to see you. How are you today?
1: I'm doing fine, thank you.
0: It's good to have you with me. Thank you for setting aside some time to come by and and uh, just tell us about Paul. I know that um, your uh, many many folks will know you. And that's great, but it's always amazing to me how someone can be around for a, a long time and people still not know really much about their background or any of those kind of things. So first of all, this and this is kind of a—I know you're not a Southerner uh, by birth, but there's something that we're really prone to do around here is the first thing is to is to ask, where are you from? So give us kind of the synopsis of where you came from and— uh, where you grew up and those kind of things?
1: Well, I grew up in Southern California, Long Beach, California to be specific. Went through junior high and high school in California. Then when I was choosing a college, I wanted a Christian college that offered engineering. The only one that I could find was in Arkansas. Well, my uh, senior advisor had graduated from John Brown University in Arkansas, and he recommended that. So I looked into it. They offered engineering. It was a Christian college. So I went to Arkansas by a Greyhound bus and went to school there.
0: So that that checked your box of being able to. You wanted to do engineering, uh, but you wanted to find a Christian school to do that, to study that, right?
1: That's correct. I, uh, there was really one other school that offered engineering, Christian School of Alfred Engineering, and I think it was in Pittsburgh.
0: Well, that had to be a bit of a culture shock coming from Southern California to what part of Arkansas?
1: Northwest Arkansas.
0: Yeah, I, c- uh, I can imagine it was a different world, wasn't it? It was. It's just
1: uh, maybe 15 miles from the University of Arkansas okay. in Fayetteville. So we were one mile from Oklahoma and 30 miles from Missouri.
0: Right. So you did you do your whole, you know, 4 years yes, there? Yes, did
1: the four. It took me four and a half years. I got married between my junior and senior year.
0: So, so it tell, it took me me your, tell me about your. semester. I'm sorry to interrupt you there. Tell me about your mom and dad. Tell me how how did they how did you grow up? What did they do and those kind of things? I know your mom recently passed away. I remember that, but so tell me about your mom and dad and and how they impacted your life and brothers and sisters and that kind of thing.
1: Well, uh, my parents grew up in um uh, Northwest Iowa. There wasn't much opportunity for jobs and that type of thing. And the Second World War was about to start. And so they moved from Iowa to Southern California. That's how I got there.
0: (laughs) So what kind of work did your dad do?
1: My father was a machinist. He eventually became uh, head of the uh, maintenance for the largest power plant in Southern California.
0: Oh, wow yeah and so, and then your mom, she
1: my mother she never was employed uh while I was young, but she liked to sing, and she had a beautiful voice, so she would uh teach music at the high school where I was going
0: okay that's that's neat see I didn't I never knew you had a musical background, so do you sing as well, Mr. Paul?
1: They asked me not to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you can, you're like a lot of people. They say they can. I had a pastor friend that I used to work with. He said, he said I can carry a tune. It's no problem carrying a tune. It's just unloading it is the problem. <laughs> so that's what he would say. So, so that's neat. So brothers and sisters,
1: I have, uh, I had one brother. Mm-hmm. He died last year. Okay. He was four and a half years younger than me. Mm-hmm. He was a pastor in Northern California.
0: That's neat. No sisters, just one brother, right? Just one brother. Just one brother. And your mom lived to be how how old?
1: She lacked uh, 2 weeks of being 100.
0: Oh man. Because I remember that you would, you know, from time to time fly out there and see her and and do things. So, wow, that that close to being 100 years old. That's mm-hmm. That's incredible. So, had a great family. It sounds to me like you had a, yes. had a great family, and so, so you've made it to Arkansas. You're and you met who along the way? Some sweet lady. You want to tell me about that? Well,
1: Kay grew up in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm. which is 90 miles from John Brown University. I see. She ended up going to John Brown. Her roommate ended up being a girl that I had dated in California. Her roommate introduced us and. I thought she looked pretty neat. So I said, (laughs) well, we invited her out, and the rest is history. The rest is history.
0: (laughs) So so you guys met in in school there, and then—
1: We met uh, our freshman year in school, mm -hmm. and uh, then we got married between my junior and senior year of college.
0: Yeah. And so once college was over, then it was on to the working world, correct?
1: Yes. Well, uh, when we got married, uh, I needed a part-time job. And started working at a company called Web Wheel
0: hmm. that
1: had their headquarters in Siloam Springs. Okay. Started uh, doing drafting there for a dollar and a quarter an hour. When I had graduated with my engineering degree then, they needed an engineer and I needed a job. And uh, so they offered me to stay on there as their engineer.
0: Oh, okay. So you just stayed right with them.
1: So I we lived there for then 10 years
0: Oh, right there in that same area where the yes. school was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you actually started with Webb Wheel right out of school then, didn't you? I mean, it was like immediately, or in school. Really, in school. Mm-hmm. So I guess then that, so you stayed there in Arkansas for how long? For a total of 10 years. Okay. That's neat. And then from there?
1: Well, the uh, company, Webb Wheel, sold off a division that was in Claremore, Oklahoma, and I was doing the engineering for both. Anyway, they sold off one division, and the company that bought that wanted an engineer to go with the product and offered me a job to go with them. So that moved me to northern Pennsylvania.
0: I see. Yeah, and so you took—but it was still just y'all two at that time, or did you have a little one by then?
1: We had two children by then. Okay. Our youngest son, David, was born nine months before we moved to Pennsylvania.
0: Okay. Yeah, and so— Eventually, after those moves and all that kind of stuff, you made your way to Alabama, right? Well,
1: northern Pennsylvania, then uh, changed jobs with the same company uh, yeah. to southern Pennsylvania. I see. And then I rejoined Webb Wheel, who was moving to Arcan- or to Alabama. Oh, I see. They were in Indiana at the time.
0: I see. And so you wound up, long story short, you, you eventually wound up in Coleman, Alabama, right? Yes. Well, I I know we're we're glad that they did. So, when you first came to Coleman, you still had your kids. Your children were still
1: yeah smaller. Our, our Steve was uh, in eighth grade, and okay. David was in fourth grade. I see. When yes. we moved here,
0: and so altogether, you've been here a 42 bunch of two years now. Forty-two years here, so longer you,
1: than we've lived anywhere else.
0: Yeah. So you came here what like nineteen eighty or something like that. Came here
1: in nineteen eighty. Yeah. Actually, the family got here in 1980, and then I finally joined them in 1981.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess the long and the short of that is, even though like it, this, you didn't actually grow up here, it, you've been here so long now. Your kids were part of—you know, you've been part of the community so long.
1: Yeah, we've lived here longer than we've lived anywhere else.
0: Right. And so, so you come to Coleman. How did you wind up at First Baptist Church?
1: That's interesting. Uh, when we first came through town— Uh, looking at Coleman, uh, we stopped here at the stoplight between the church and the courthouse. And Kay said, That's not where we're going to go to church. When we finally moved to town, we bought a house here. When we arrived, our furniture wasn't here yet. Right. Well, the people across the street were Haskell and Ellen Berry. Okay. And they said, Well, we're having uh, Wednesday night activities. could we take your kids to church? There's served dinner there, and then the uh, youth activities, and we said fine because we didn't have any furniture, didn't yeah. have anything to eat, so uh, we said fine. Well, they took them to First Baptist Church, and uh, when it came time f- uh, for Sunday, we said where well, we're going to go to church, and they said we want to go back to First Baptist. Oh. So we ended up with a place where we said we'd never attend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they sort of came in through the children's yes. ministry type stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the—I know that. So and then throughout the years, you've you've been here. You and Kay have been here. You've served in all sorts of capacities and, and that kind of thing. And I know you've been—like I, like I said earlier, you've been involved in, in so many different things. Tell me—I mean, I, and I always ask folks this. How did you— uh, how did you become a Christian? What was like your salvation experience? I hear you in your story talking about your parents and going to a Christian uh, college, you know, because of your engineering desires and that kind of stuff. But how did your how did salvation actually happen for Paul?
1: It really happened at two different stages. Uh, I accepted Christ when I was about six years old, and uh, because I grew up in a Christian home, and was always exposed to this through church and everything, accepted Christ early on, and I always uh, tried to do what God wanted me to do. I was very conscious of being a Christian and trying to follow God's will in my life. Mm -hmm. When I was, I think, my freshman year in college, I started to question, did I accept Christ because of my parents, or was it my decision? Was I a Christian because that's what I grew up with and that's all I knew? Or did I really want to be a Christian because myself? I looked at the other world religions. Were people Buddhist because that's what they grew up? Were people uh, Muslim because that's what they grew up? And was I a Christian because that's what I, how I grew up? And I was looking at uh, these different religions and they didn't make any sense. And I went back to the Bible and creation and said, you know, the world has to be created by a superior being. And the Bible has a logical explanation for this, that God did it. And that's when I made it my decision that I wanted to accept Christ as my Savior. I wanted to be a Christian because I chose to do that, not because of my parents.
0: You know, I, I would imagine many of us, or many folks that I talk with have not the exact same Testimony, but similar, you know. As a, I myself accepted Christ as a as a third grader, and I, I did that because, just like you, I had grown up in church and I had seen people accept Christ, and I had a friend who was going to go down and accept, you know, do that, and um, so. And I did accept Christ at that time, but it wasn't until I was in later on uh, in high school and right out of high school that perhaps I came to, to the understanding of what that really meant. And I kind of like what you say, it's like, and God did a work in me to help me understand what that meant to really accept Christ. And, you know, so as a, I talk to, there are a lot of people, folks who have that same experience. And it's not that it doesn't. It doesn't lessen your earlier experience. It doesn't change it. But the but God you know, you're there's the process of sanctification and you grow and things happen and you do. It's just it is odd when you think back over the years how something is like it becomes it's like it becomes clear to you mm. and you it's, understand.
1: Yeah, it had to be my decision eventually.
0: Eventually, yeah. Exactly. Not because you you did it for any other reason other than the Holy Spirit prompted you to know and to learn and to find out, and so, man, that's incredible. I Always love hearing hearing people's testimony. So you accepted Christ, and then you and you already had met Kay, and I'm sure she's a Christian lady. She seems yes. like a sweetheart and uh, loves the Lord. Y'all are a beautiful couple. I uh, always I laugh at people. You could be our guidepost couple. You know that they, they have these couples that they put on the pictures. You know, so y'all would be a perfect couple for that. But um, so you're here in Coleman and you've made your way to First Baptist and that's 40 plus years ago, I guess 42 years ago and uh, kids came, grew up here, part of this part of this community. And so did you eventually just as a as a church member start finding the you know people started asking you to serve in this area and serve in that area because I know you've been a Sunday school teacher for a long long time.
1: What happened was that uh I was in Warren Stewart's Sunday school class, and uh, Kay was in a ladies' class. I don't remember her teacher. But Kay came to me one Sunday and said, you know, we have several ladies in our class. Their husbands don't come because they can't be in the class with them. Could we start a couples' class? Oh. We had attended a couples' class in Pennsylvania and really enjoyed it. I went to the— Sunday school superintendent said, could we start a couples class? This is no, we don't do that. So Uh-oh. I kept after him, and they finally agreed to uh, let us start a couples class. They opened up a uh, crisis closet for us that was down under some stairs. Yeah. <laughs> nook, uh, huh? That was our nook. <laughs> we, we had a little class, started with three couples. Oh,
0: no, my. And so that was the beginning of— of the couples class, that's you, you still teach to this yeah, day, I've correct?
1: Taught that class for I think forty years now. So
0: oh my, see, I can't. But now that you say that, I haven't thought of that in years. I, it's hard to conceive of a time when there wasn't a couples class. But now, now that I think about it, growing up, I, I don't remember. I don't remember that there was a couple's class in my church at that you know I mean I don't know when i i I had never really given any thought to when did that happen when people started having couple's classes, but I guess at the time that was pretty revolutionary, right?
1: I was told that uh, we have men's classes and we have women's classes uh we do not have co-ed classes,
0: oh, you know, I've always thought of you of a little rowdy and outside the lines there, Paul, you know good. <laughs> Well, what a concept, huh? Let's just go to you. You know, I always thought I always thought everybody always had couples classes till they reached a certain age, and then they had to divide. Somebody divinely said, "You got to go here, you got to go there," you know, because usually in the older couples classes, I mean, there's no older couples classes most of the time. It winds up being older men's or older women's. I didn't really know why that was or how that was, but so you so you started this class, and I know it's been a, an incredible ministry. Over the years, and I and I I know that uh, just in having gotten to know you over the last five years, that you really enjoy teaching and enjoy teaching that class. And uh, I know you've probably, if you're like every, all the rest of us, you've probably grown tremendously by teaching that class. would that be a fair well, statement? Very
1: definitely. I the reason I enjoy teaching is it forces me to be in the God's Word. Right. And it's the discipline that I enjoy—the study yeah. discipline.
0: Yeah, I love. If if you've never been to Paul's class, the the most fun thing—and it's a large class—but the most fun thing about it is I love that I love that bell. I love that organization. When it's time to start, Paul has this big bell. Right, you ring it. It's time to. Yeah. You know, Roy,
1: Roy Penny rings the bell. Okay. That's his job. <laughs> Really but we trying to stay on schedule.
0: On um, schedule, yeah, you go. I, I like that. Well, so after all this, now when I came here, uh, you had it already had uh, a device, a heart device, like a a mechanical device in your heart. What what age? When did that actually happen?
1: I was sixty two years old when they diagnosed that I had a leaky aortic valve. That's when they put in the mechanical valve.
0: I see. So you've had that for a while now, then, haven't yes. you? I can remember when I first came here, you would tell, you would tell me because Paul helped out with a lot of different areas and administration here, you know, when there was not any administration, when there were, wasn't a pastor, you and Richard were, uh, Richard, uh, were, we all were all in charge of kind of shared duties of. Administrative duties, I yes. guess you would say. But anyway, Paul would tell me, he said, Yeah, you hear my heart, and you could said you could you could actually actually hear that thing. So you've been involved in, in like I say in teaching, but also over the years you've been involved in administrative parts of the church. I don't know how often did you do that? Was it just the one time that one interim period? Yeah, just the it?
1: one interim period. They ask us to uh... They asked Richard and I to share that duty. Mm-hmm. They said probably six months. Right. It ended up being four years.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, nothing ever <laughs> works exactly like you planned it, right? So, and then along comes, you know, I, I know you worked through a lot of things there, and, and I know you're, you guys were a huge benefit to our church during that time. Um, and so— Later on, in fact, after I came here, you had a and I would just say, and I don't know how you would describe it or explain it, but obviously it was a major health issue. I mean, life and death, and but the hand of God was so clear in all that and how all that happened. So I know that some people may know about that, but would do you mind sharing that with us? How that all came be happy to. Man?
1: It really goes back to really six months before that event happened. I asked Ed Hayes if he would teach for me on a certain Sundays when I was going to be out of town. And he said, Well, I'm being considered as interim pastor at a church. Says if they call me, I will not be available. Well the next week he came back and he said they didn't call me to be interim, which is highly unusual. Sure. So he was set up to then teach for me while I was going to be gone. Well, each year, I'd go on an extended bicycle vacation, and we were up in Maryland and Delaware and rode both states about 350 miles on a bicycle for the week and drove home. I got home on Sunday or got home on Saturday. It was our class's turn to uh, stack chairs after church. (laughs) That's when we were— Right. Different classes would do this, so— Ed Hayes had taught for me in Sunday school, and I said, we need to uh, just get something quick so we can get back to church to stack stack the chairs. So I said, well, let's go to uh, Zaxby's because we can get a quick lunch there and then get back to church. At the last minute, I said, let's go to Dairy Queen instead. Well, between dinner and getting my dessert, something happened. My heart stopped, and I passed out. Mm. I knew nothing from then on. What was kind of kind of neat is that uh, there was a sheriff's deputy right across the aisle. He had been going to uh, Arby's for lunch, and he said, the "Last minute, he says no, I'm going to go to Dairy Queen." Well, he was sitting right across the aisle when I died. Yeah. And but he knew CPR, so he drugged me out of the booth and got me on the floor and started CPR, and he actually saved my life. Wow. Another neat thing was that uh, the Dairy Queen then called 911. The ambulance just happened to be going up Cherokee Avenue right by the Dairy Queen. Oh, my. They got there immediately. Yeah. And uh, got oxygen on me and continued the CPR. They started to take me to uh, CRMC, and somebody says, no, he needs to go to UAB. So they called the helicopter. Well, the Lifesaver Helicopter just happened to be in the area. They landed two blocks away over at the Woodland Hospital. Oh, my. And so I was in the helicopter heading to Birmingham within just a few minutes of my, my. heart attack. When I got to Birmingham, Dr. Davies, who is the head of cardiac surgery, happened to be on call. Yeah. And he was there. Yeah. The first thing I remember was looking up and those bright lights and this doctor standing over me says, do you know where you are? somehow I knew I was at UAB. I had no idea how I knew that. And he says, do you know what day it is? I said, yeah, it's Sunday. I need to be back at church to stack chairs. (laughs) He says, you're not going anywhere. Oh. He says, you are very fortunate. I don't get to talk to very many people who have experienced what you have been through.
0: Mm. I think that's incredible. So I guess the the amazing, you know, because we're all amazed by that. We saw you at UAB the next week, but— God had more, didn't he? More for you to do, more more lessons to teach, more things to do, don't you guess?
1: Either uh, God said my room wasn't ready yet. There you go. Or he has more for me to do. <laughs>
0: there you go. Well, I tell you what, I we are so blessed to, to have you. And so, because since then, I mean, if you think about it, you do, you know, I know you, there's no telling how many lessons that you've taught since then, but you being an engineer, you know, I know you give us a, you've given us a lot of different things as far as charts and graphs and stats and all that sort of stuff. And a very and I would say this, and I I would hope you'd agree with me, a very exacting person. You know, numbers, things, the way things are, and I appreciate that about you. And so, with your experience with in all different areas of life, when it got time to to do the children the new children's area, you have been a an integral part of making that happen. Give us a kind of a how that all came about and what you wound up being doing as part of that.
1: Scott asked me to uh, be the liaison between the church and the construction company in the building of the children's area. I've always been interested in things like this. And yeah, it's right up my alley with the structure and everything. So it was uh, a pleasure to do that and keeping up with the construction and the timetable and right. Keeping the church
0: informed of what was
1: going on and when the fire
0: alarm was going to go off. Well, if you don't, uh, and some of you have some, uh, many people have. You've been involved in construction projects like that, but if you don't have someone that can really constantly be on that, and like, and you, you know, you being retired and being willing to do that, is a huge ministry to the church. Uh, because of the, just the time invested in it, and as you say, you know you, that's an interest that you have. But it's a it was it's been a huge blessing. I know for Scott because it would be hard for him to do all the things that he has to do and that and to work with you on that. And I, I just I appreciate what you do, what you do in that area. It just
1: takes being involved with a construction company every day because every day something's changing. Sure, and uh, there's always issues coming up. And you have to work between the construction company and the church to, and the, keep the schedules between the two aligned.
0: Right. And I, I, just think you demand for you demand you demand for the job. So anyway, and I, I like I say, we appreciate you doing that. Well, I this is totally different than our normal questioning because, as I said earlier, you're a, and uh, you, you've been involved in our church for so many years, and you are a pillar. And I know that people. Um, uh, didn't know you know that, and so I just my as we end today, I just want to say I I appreciate everything you are, everything you do, and everything you stand for. It's been you've been a minister to me in my time here.
1: I appreciate the church staff that we have here. I think Tom does an excellent job. I really appreciate his ministry and his study, and you Chuck and Scott. It just everybody has really worked together. For just
0: just great. Yeah, and God's blessings. It's great to be part of a growing church, and having been through all these different years, you've seen that. And just like me, you've seen the the ebb and flow of things. Can be great; they can you you can struggle for a while, but God is really blessing. And so, man, I thank you for just jumping in there and hanging on with it and trying to keep us on on path. Um, so it's good to have you, Paul. Love you, brother. And I I just look forward to. And I know you got a whole lot of work left in you, so I'm glad God didn't have that room quite ready for you yet. Thank you for being with us, and we'll see you the next time on First Person. Thank you. Thank you for listening to First Person. I want to encourage you to share this podcast with friends and family.